it's great to be together this morning. It's so exciting that this is our very first live stream, and we're thrilled that we can open a window into the life of Milton Bible Church. That's our purpose of our live stream, so folks who are needing some spiritual encouragement can tune in, as all, also those who are looking for a place to land and call a spiritual home. Uh, we want you to check us out, and we want to be able to be here for you. So it's absolutely wonderful. Listen, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit in our Sundays together, and we're going to continue that study with the study of gentleness, gentleness. And with the help and the grace of God this morning, I want to talk to you about gentleness that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And we've been talking about the life of the Spirit within us, stirring up the fruit of the Spirit, which, are, which really is the character of God, so that we can display the beauty and the wonder and the splendor of our God uh, to the world and to one another. And so it's so uh, wonderful to be able to do that. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This has been our text for quite a while now, for a number of weeks. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Do you know, in 2003, Bill O'Reilly wrote a book called Who's Looking After You? And in it, he went through all the systems that surround us, and he asked the question, who's looking after you? He went through the educational system, the medical community, the systems of government, um, all the different kind of systems, of the business world. And he asked the question uh, in detail, who's looking after you? And you know what his conclusion was? Nobody. Nobody's looking after you. So you had better look after yourself. You better start looking after number one. And then he went on in his book to talk about how to look after number one and how to make sure that you get all that you deserve. But when we talk about gentleness and meekness, we read these words of Jesus, the meek shall inherit the earth. And when we talk about this subject, sometimes there's a tendency to recoil because when people think of meekness, they often think of weakness. And they think to themselves, I don't want a piece of that. It's kind of like the business guy that was leaving church one Sunday and after the pastor had said that uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. And he turned to his wife and said, well, if the meek are going to inherit the earth, well, they better get a lot more aggressive if that's going to happen. Let's talk about gentleness this morning. Because when Jesus talked about gentleness, he also talked about meekness. And those words are interchangeable in the scriptures. Throughout the Old Testament and the New, gentleness and meekness were used interchangeably. The Bible says that Moses was a meek man. In fact, if you look at uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, this is what it says. 
It says, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who are on the face of the earth. And so we're going to look at Moses for a minute. In fact, we're going to stay in this chapter for a couple of minutes. Because when the Bible says that he was meek or gentle, you've got to realize that Moses was far from perfect. Remember, he killed an Egyptian guard. Remember, he grumbled and complained about the grumbling and complaining of the people of Israel. He didn't actually want to lead the people of Israel through to the promised land, and he argued with the Lord. He argued with God. When you look at Moses' life, there are a lot of things to show you that he was not a perfect person. The Bible says that he was a meek person. Let me illustrate by one example in his life. It's the study of his brother and sister-in-law, Aaron and Miriam. Aaron and Miriam were not showing him the respect that was due as the God-appointed leader of the people of Israel. And they were grumbling. And they had a spirit of discontentment under his leadership. And so in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, God addresses Aaron and Miriam and gives them what I would call a few well-chosen words. God says this, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And then God addresses Miriam and Aaron and says, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? What God was saying to them is, you got to understand this. you got to understand that I have chosen Moses to be the leader of the people of Israel. When I speak to the prophets, I speak in visions and dreams. And it's kind of like they've got to figure out this riddle. What does this mean? What is God trying to say? But not so with Moses. With Moses, I speak to him face to face. In fact, I show him my form, which I have not shown to any other. So why weren't you, why weren't you afraid to talk this way about Moses? Now, there's some other things that are going on in this passage. Because there's a family controversy happening. You see, Miriam didn't like her sister-in-law, the lady that Moses married. You see, Moses married a Cushite woman from North Africa, a, a black woman, the scripture says. And so God gave Miriam leprosy. And you know what leprosy does? It turns the skin a pale white and infects it throughout Now, there's a lot of commentaries and there's a lot of um, controversy around what exactly is going on here. But from the moment she was stricken with leprosy, do you know what Moses did? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't say, well, there you go, Miriam. That's what you get for talking smack about me. He didn't say, hey, you deserve that for the way you have carried on. Moses didn't do either of those things. You know what he did? Moses immediately cried out to the Lord to heal 
Miriam and bring healing to her body. And do you know what I think? I think that God was actually pleased with Moses. Moses, who had unbelievable power, had great restraint in using it in a humbleness of spirit. Even when he was accused of slander, even though some under him were not loyal, he had a spirit of gentleness that pleased the Lord. Let me talk to you for a moment about people and power. Because you know what? Each one of us have been given some kind of power, some kind of influence in other people's lives. And I always uh, like to watch how people handle the power in their lives. It's very difficult to handle it correctly without humility or simplicity. And it's very difficult not to abuse it. And I think that although failure is difficult to handle, do you know what? I think success is even more difficult to handle. Because with failure, you're usually beaten down and you're, you know, you're kind of knocked down and you lose your options. But with success, you actually gain more options. You actually have more choice. You actually get more power. And I always like to watch a person when they've been given power to see how they respond, whether they use that power to help people or to abuse people. You see, Moses was pleasing to God because although he had incredible power, there was a gentleness about him. He didn't feel that he had to put people in their place. He didn't feel that he had to solve everybody's problem or try and make every situation right. Do you know what? There's a great passage that where Jesus uh, says in the New Testament, he says, come unto me all you that are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my, joke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle, he says, and humble in heart. And so what the Lord wants us to do is he wants us to come alongside him. He wants to teach us gentleness he wants to show us what that humility is in our lives that can, we can learn from him. When the Spirit of God abides in us, when there's a sense of the presence of God about us, when the fruit of the Spirit begins to be stirred up in us, there's a gentleness that comes forth, a gentleness that comes forth. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Let's define gentleness. Let's define gentleness. Gentleness is power under God's control. Let me say it again. It's power under God's control. Do you think you guys can repeat that with me? Gentleness is power under God's control. It is. So we're going to look at three characteristics of gentleness this morning. Three characteristics of gentleness. First of all, we're going to look at the attitude of gentleness. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, the result of gentle people is that they will look out for the interests of other people. They will look out not only for their own interests, but they're going to look out for the interests of others. 
we start looking out for the benefit of others, not just ourselves. You see, people who believe that they're better than others tend only to help themselves when there's something in it for them. And they rarely do things that benefit others. I remember one fellow that attended our church a number of years ago. He was very wealthy, very successful, had done well in business, lived in a nice big house. And we, you know, we were looking at this verse together. And I said, you know, what's interesting is the Bible says, you know, that we are to count others more significant than ourselves. And uh, even though he'd been to church like his whole life and he'd been a Christian many years and he considered himself a very bright person, you know, he said, you mean, Jim, I've got to count everybody more significant than me? And he was like, I understand that other people are more significant than me, people who've made more money, people that, you know, have been more successful in business, people who have more education, people who have more influence, but actually, I am far more significant than a lot of other people. And I said, come on, dude, the Bible says you're to count everybody more significant than you. I don't know who was in more shock that day, him or me. I had never encountered that attitude to that extreme before. Let me ask you a question. When you look at others, what do you see? When you look at others, what do you see? People that are more significant than you? or people that are less important than you. Gentleness, a spirit-filled gentleness sees everyone as more significant than ourselves. Attitude needs to be under God's control, the attitude of gentleness. Let's take a look at the speech of gentleness. You know, it isn't, uh, you know, my mom used to say I didn't pay attention much, and she'd say, man, that just went in one ear, ear and out the other. But things that go in one ear and out the other are not the problem most of the time. Most of the problem are things that go in one ear, they get jumbled up in our brain, and they come shooting out of our mouth. And that's where most of the problems begin. Words should be under God's control. That's why if you look at the screen... That's why it says in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, he nails it. When he says in James chapter 3, he's so clear. He says, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire courses of life, and set on fire by hell. Talk about tough speech. And then in verse 9, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers my sisters, these things ought not to be so. Do you know what I think? One of the things that we need to accept 
is I think we need to accept that we cannot tame the tongue. That we cannot tame the tongue. And we need the help of the Spirit of God <laughs> to do that. I remember one time I was a very young Christian. I was 19 years old. I, it w I hadn't been a Christian long, and I was sitting in a restaurant, as young people do at midnight, having a coffee with a buddy of mine that I just started to go to this new church with. And um, I'll never forget, I, we were sitting there, and uh, there was a, a, a couple guys at another table beside us. I mean, it wasn't far, no social distancing in those days. And this, this guy, he just seemed to be this big kind of slobby looking guy and he's kind of eating his soup and he's loud and he's obnoxious and he's yapping away. And my friend, who's about this big, probably 120 pounds, sopping wet, but just a little bit too much fire in his bones, started repeating everything this other guy said. Blah, 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 blah. Can I say it any louder? And he just kept going, and I'm like, hey, buddy, stop. Stop talking. Please stop talking. This is embarrassing. But he just wouldn't let it go. I don't know if he was overtired or what. Anyway, this guy who was sitting beside us, he gets up. He wasn't overweight in any way. In fact, he was probably about six foot four. He had muscle upon muscle. He was like a bodybuilder. Hulk Hogan and an NFL lineman all combined. And he stood up and he was a monster. And we were these two skinny little 19-year-olds. And I thought to myself, we're dead. <laughs> I really did. He walked over to our table. He looked down at us. And he said, have a nice night, boys and he walked away. Now that's power under control. His speech, I welcomed into my heart. <laughs> we need to have our speech under the control of God. We need to have our speech under control. Point number three, let's look at the actions of gentleness. You see, when we are gentle people, we not only place our attitude and our speech under the control of God's Holy Spirit, but our actions as well. Ephesians 4 says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me ask you a question. When somebody disappoints you, when somebody lets you down, when somebody drops the ball, are you gentle with them or are you judgmental? Are you gentle with them or are you judgmental? Which are we? All of us have been let down. All of us have been disappointed. All of us know what it means to have somebody not come through who say they're going to come through. But how do we respond? With gentleness or with judgment? There's a classic Old Testament example with Elijah. It is the greatest day in Elijah's life. 
He was on Mount Carmel when the fire came. And you know what? God showed up in power that day. And we know that Elijah went from the greatest day of his ministry straight into a time of personal depression. And off he ran. And he said to himself as he ran uh, afraid, I'm no better than anyone else. And he went right into an emotional tank. And do you remember what God said to him? God said to him, Elijah, I want you to go to the cave. Now that phrase right there has always amused me because it kind of reminded me when I was in elementary school and I was often in trouble. I still have my report cards, you know, when they weren't, you know, when, when they used to fill them out by hand. And my report cards say things like, if Jimmy would just stop talking and pay attention, he would do much better in school. If Jimmy would stop bothering the people around him, that they would do much better in school. And oftentimes, I would have the teacher say to me, okay, Jim, it's time to go sit outside. So I would get, I'd go outside the classroom and I would sit down outside the door and I knew whenever that lesson was over, the teacher was going to come out and have a talk to me and I never knew what was going to happen. I always hoped they wouldn't phone my house or let my parents know because that would have been way worse. But I always wanted to know, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? That was a nervous place sitting out in the hall. The teachers so knew what they were doing. I wonder what Elijah thought when he heard God say, Elijah, I want you to go to the cave. And can you imagine what Elijah was wondering? What is God going to do now? Man, I have blown it. I have disappointed him. I have, I have not been the man of God that I wanted to be. I have not been the man of courage and man of faith and man of the spirit that I am supposed to be. Where was my faith? How did I lose it so quickly after having that experience on Mount Carmel? I'm sure he was thinking, I wonder what God is going to do. But you remember what he did? When he came to Elijah, he said, I want you to come out of the cave. And Elijah stood on the side of the mountain. And God brought a mighty wind, a huge wind. And he brought it to Elijah. It was a powerful wind. And after the wind subsided, the Bible says that God was not in the wind. And then came an earthquake, and the ground shook. And after the earthquake was finished, the Bible once again said that God is not in the earthquake. And then God brought fire. He brought fire. And it says that God was not in the fire. And then after all that is done, do you know what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12? It says this, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And you know what God was doing? God was not beating up Elijah. He was loving on Elijah. He was saying, listen, man, I know you are down and I know you are depressed. I know you failed and I know you feel bad. But it was a gentle voice. It was a quiet voice. Do you know what? For almost three months now, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. And can I just ask you, ask you a question? 
Is there anybody here this morning that would say, you know what, Jim, we've been studying this for almost three months now. I've been taking notes every week, and, and I just want you to know, Jim, I've been scoring like 100% on every single fruit of the Spirit. Man, I have these, this fruit nailed. I mean, I am close to being perfect now. Like, I have absolutely excelled in the fruit of the Spirit, and I have got it. Now, if you could say that, would you please raise your hand so that we all know who to throw stones at? Can I tell you something this morning? That none of us are there. None of us have made it. None of us are perfect. You know, I thought about last week's sermon when I preached on kindness. Kindness. And at the end of the service, we all stood together and we read a commitment that said, we will commit one random act of senseless kindness. Let me ask you a question. How did you do this week? How did you do with this week? Did you have an opportunity to do a random act of senseless kindness? Did you take that opportunity? Or somehow did you walk away? And maybe you would give anything to go back, but you can't. And you know what? God tells you, just like he said to Elijah, he'd say, hey, let's go to the cave for a moment. And he's not going to send an earthquake, and he's not going to send fire. He's going to be like the father of the prodigal son, who runs to his rebellious son when he sees him and throws his arm around him. And the scripture says that he kissed him on the neck. He fell on his neck. And you can just see that picture of that father's heart towards his son. Basically, his arms were wide open saying, I love you. Do you know what? If Christianity is anything, it's not people always being perfect, but it is people who want to be holy, who desire to do what God wants them to do, and are willing to let the grace of God cover every sin that they've ever committed. A people who seek to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit, God's character, might be on display for all to see. And the message to us this week is this. We don't all have the fruit of the Spirit lined up. We're not all perfect. But you know what? I want to tell you something. In the areas where we fall short, just let God's goodness and His grace flow over you. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come on, pick up your chin. You are a child of God. You can say, I'm not the person I used to be because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But by the work of the Holy Spirit within me, I'm becoming more like him every day. We're going to sing a song in closing. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to sing a song in closing, a song that I love. It's a song... Uh, about the Holy Spirit. It's called, Let the Rain Come. Let the Rain Come. And, the, and the, the image of rain is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And so when we sing, let the rain come, what we're saying is, let the Spirit of God flow over our lives. Let the Spirit of God do His work within us. Let the Spirit of God come in such a way that we are drenched in the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we are stirred up, so that we are moving forward in the fullness of the Spirit's life within us. And there's a line in this song that I love. And the line is, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we desire to see Jesus more clearly so that we have a passion to make him known, a passion to make him known so that the whole world can know that you are God. So send your revival rain. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open up the heavens once again. Let it rain. Let the Spirit of God be poured out on God's people. Let the Spirit of God be poured out on our community so that God himself might be made known and Jesus Christ lifted up and the Spirit of God come in power in our lives. So I'm not going to pray. Instead, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is to sing this song as a prayer. As a prayer. Let the rain come. Let the rain fall down on us. Spirit of God, come. Let's stand as we sing.